Welcome to Management 101, your home for learning about management and leadership in business. Now, here is your host, Max Winokur. Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Winokur. Thank you so much for joining me today for the 20th episode. I know, crazy. Time flies, right? Today, we're going to be talking about company culture, what it is, why it's important, how to create it and foster it, how to correct for issues with it. Company culture at its core is basically how a company operates. And so I think it's an important concept to talk through. And particularly as a manager or leader, you have an outsized influence on its development and its nurturing. A couple things we're going to talk through today. First, I will just define company culture and I will caveat this by saying this is obviously my opinion. I will also more broadly say that company culture, there is not necessarily a right and a wrong. Oh, there's certainly a wrong. Let me make that clear. There are definitely ways to not do company culture. There are definitely company cultures that would broadly be described as toxic, where unethical, maybe even un illegal behaviors in some circumstances are committed and accepted. But in terms of what right looks like, there is no exact right answer. And I do think it's incredibly dependent on who your leadership team is, who the people you've hired are, and what work everyone does, what is the business that you're ultimately in. All that being said, I will talk through, I think, some general best practices and generally how I define good company culture and Take that for what it's worth. I guess if you're listening, you probably think that I have some smart thoughts. And so maybe it's worth listening to what I have to say about company culture. Let's get started. First, defining company culture. What is it? To me, company culture is the set of behaviors that are acceptable in your company or your team. What are those behaviors? What are the pieces of company culture that are important? One, how team members interact with each other. This is, for example, how meetings go, how your online communication goes. I guess those are the big two. How live interactions go and how online interaction goes, such as e email, Slack, things like that. Two, maybe a subset of how you interact with each other, how you provide feedback. Different companies have different ways of providing feedback. Some do it as a more formal process. Some do it as a less formal process. Some do it a lot more frequently. Some avoid it or do it a lot less frequently. Three, your typical working hours. When are people in the office or online? That's a piece of company culture and it's defined by pretty specific actions by leaders. Another one is how you solve problems. There are companies that solve problems in a very collaborative way. There are companies that solve problems in a more top-down way. We'll talk through that too. Five, how decisions are made. Do those decisions involve multiple levels of input or are they more unilateral leadership decisions? 
how is decision-making authority delegated into different levels of the org? Again, is it a more unilateral leadership decision-making or is decision-making authority delegated downwards such that individuals deeper into the org have autonomy to make decisions? Then finally, maybe most importantly, is your company employee-focused, customer-focused, shareholder-focused, or leader-focused? And I've worked with companies, four companies that have been one of each of those. They often aren't that by purpose, but rather that by happenstance. However, it is very clear when you're working at a company that is employee-focused versus a company that is customer or shareholder-focused, for example. I think companies tend to not try to be leader-focused, but it does often happen. Before we get more into some of those pieces of company culture, I want to talk about how I think company culture is actually created. The thing that I see most companies do when they get to a certain size is they write down a set of core values that the management team or the CEO or the founder has come up with. And they post that on a wall somewhere or they post it in a deck somewhere and then they talk about it in all hands or in meetings on some regular basis, maybe every quarter, you name it. Those core values are things like meritocracy or we are customer centric, things like that. It seems to me like leaders believe that is how culture is created at a company. And I think in reality, that couldn't be further from the truth. I think in reality, the way that company culture is created is almost exclusively based on what leaders themselves do, what they allow others to do. Those are the only two things that make up company culture. It is largely irrelevant what your core values are. I've seen companies whose core values have been weaponized by people trying to get a job done because ultimately they saw that the leaders of that company were willing to let that happen. They did that themselves. So the exercise to me of writing down core values as a company, a mission statement, it's a pretty futile exercise because I think it almost comes across more like a PR stunt to the average employee. I think what actually matters is how do leaders comport themselves and what behaviors do they tolerate by others? That is what ultimately will become the company's culture. Specifically, there are times when I think company culture is formed in very rapid fashion. And to me, those times are when the bad moments occur. So when the times get tough in terms of lost revenue or lower business performance, when the company gets bad press or has some sort of high profile failure. To me, that's when company culture is really solidified. That's where rapid development in company culture really occurs. If I, as a leader, typically try to be collaborative in my problem solving approach, if I typically try to identify solutions rather than blame for problems, that's great. But when the company has 
a high profile failure of some sort. A customer was wronged in some very problematic way. An employee speaks out about toxicity in the workplace or a bad experience with a manager. If I don't keep doing those things, if my reaction as a leader, even if it's totally inadvertent, is to go try to find the source of the problem and root it out and make sure that someone is to blame. If my approach is to top down, use my authority to make decisions when those times get tough and I stop being collaborative, that is when company culture to the average employee is really defined. That's when they see the true essence of their leadership and that's how they experience company culture. So I think it's all well and good when times are not tough, how companies operate, but I think culture is really defined when times are tough for whatever reason by what leaders do in those circumstances and what they allow other people to do. I'm thinking of a time when I was working with a company and they had that high profile customer facing failure that I talked about. This is a data center failure the team that was ultimately responsible, the engineering team that was ultimately responsible for maintaining the data center. When this happened, was given carte blanche to fix the problem. And sure, they bought more capacity or whatever engineers do. Uh, yeah, you just saw the extent of my engineering knowledge. But they also went around putting a lot of restrictions in place as to how other teams were allowed to use that data center resource. And this really hamstrung a number of areas of the company for a long time. Being given carte blanche by the CEO to go fix this problem with no checks in place as to the ramifications to other organizations, that to me was the most clear demonstration of how this company solved problems and therefore what this company's culture was. Much more than if I were just in my day-to-day -day with that company and saw that the company was generally very collaborative. Let's talk through these pieces individually. Let's start with how you interact with each other and what piece of company culture that makes up. There are companies that prioritize meetings over non-live communication. That is a facet of company culture. We are a meeting-heavy company. We are a live interaction-heavy company. There are other companies who are very comfortable making decisions or having interactions that are not live. They are looking to save meeting time. They see it as a valuable asset. And a lot of interaction is done via email or via Slack. Decisions are made without having to get together. I have been with both types of companies. The meeting-heavy companies tend to be able to make clearer decisions. I think there is something to be said for everyone getting in a room and hashing something out. There is information or nuance that is lost via non-live communication. The companies that rely on non-live communication can sometimes make decisions faster, though. And that's because, particularly as you grow, it is hard to get all of the right stakeholders in a room to make decisions. When you have communication that is not happening live, when decisions are able to be made via email thread or via Slack channel, 
things can just happen faster. The problem is you have to have everyone be responsive. If you have a team that doesn't respond, is not giving input, you might make a decision faster, but without all the right pieces of information. How a company interacts with each other, what the norm is between email slash Slack, live meeting, one-on-one -on -one versus bigger group meeting. These are definitely important pieces to company culture, and it's an important thing to think about as you build out your own company, as you build out your own team. Which of these things are you prioritizing? A second important piece of company culture is how you provide feedback. I've been part of companies that do not prioritize offering feedback almost at all. It is simply a every six month formal exercise, mostly focused on identifying who's a high performer, who's a low performer, and who is getting promoted and who isn't. That to me is not a very feedback focused environment, even if a company claims that it is. That to me is simply a environment where you're checking the box on providing feedback as part of a larger performance management system. I've been with other companies that are very focused on providing feedback. They make it part of their development check-ins. And really what it comes down to is, are the managers creating space for feedback and are they asking for feedback? Those companies that do the every six month one that check the box, pretty rare to hear a leader or manager say, hey, I would love to hear from you on what you think that I could be doing better as a leader. What could I start or stop doing as the leader or manager of your team? The ones that have feedback happen more easily, more regularly, where feedback is really seen as welcome and not something that's scary, they're ones where it's just more of a habit, where leaders ask for feedback regularly and they are positively responsive to it. There are company cultures that don't really focus on feedback. I just wonder if those companies actually continue to develop and be successful over time. Feedback to me is one of the only mechanisms by which you can help people grow. And as a company, you need your people to grow over time in order to stay successful and relevant, in order to be adapting to changing market conditions. A company that has an environment where feedback is welcome and encouraged and is more of a habit is going to be consistently more successful than one that isn't, all, of the th all other things being equal. Let's talk about typical working hours and how that plays a role in company culture. A lot of companies will say, we care about work-life balance quite a bit. To me, the companies that actually make that part of their culture are the ones where the leaders respect that. I currently have a client who the leadership team is online almost at all hours. They're spread across a bunch of different time zones, but it is truly impressive how frequently they are available and responsive to questions from their team. It's certainly concerning from a burnout perspective, but leave that aside for the moment. The leadership team clearly does not abide themselves by this concept of work-life balance. However, the entire leadership team is incredibly respectful of people's out-of-office time. When people put out-of-office, when they go on vacation, for example, they block their calendar, they are not bothered 
it is not expected that they are responsive on vacation. It is not expected that they join meetings. In fact, they are generally excluded from meetings and decisions and asks when they're on vacation. I came into this company thinking, well, if this leadership team is making asks at all hours, sending emails at all hours, there's going to be a lot of pressure to respond at all hours, even if they say that's not the case. But I checked myself when I realized they were putting their money where their mouth was when people said they wanted to take time off. It was respected. Someone at the company literally took a month off to travel to Asia. And it did not appear to me that anyone in the leadership team batted an eye at that, nor was this person bothered once while they were on vacation, despite there being some pretty high priority work that involved their team while they were gone. To me, that made it clear that it's actually possible to not walk the walk when it comes to your own working hours, but still demonstrate that it is okay to take time off and that work balance is work-life balance is important by acting accordingly when it comes to your employees. There was another company I worked at where the same thing happened. The leadership team, as is true at many startups, was online at all hours, sending messages at all hours, making asks at all hours. And they would say, no pressure, get to this when you're back. But then it would be very clear through their messaging that this needed to happen sooner rather than later. And so you're out of office, your after hours became irrelevant. That to me was the learning experience of if you don't walk the walk, then the talk is meaningless related to working hours. But I think in reality, you as a leader are allowed to work, of course, whatever hours you want, as long as you're setting the example that when other people want to take time off, that is absolutely allowed and in fact encouraged. The next really big piece of company culture, how you solve problems. One of my previous roles was at a uh, company that had been recently acquired. And the acquiring company had some pretty senior leaders that had come in from other parts of the business and were trying to right the ship. This company that had been acquired, its technology was very promising, but its operation was in terrible shape. And what the acquiring company did is it brought in seasoned leaders from another area of the business who were asked by the head of that entire company to go fix this problem organization and get it into a good operational place such that it was profitable. Those leaders came in and made incredibly top-down decisions. They came in and they said, we know how this works from the other experiences we've had at our other parts of the company. So we're going to dictate to this company that was acquired exactly what to do in order to write the ship. I spent quite a bit of time in that role and over the course of my experience there, saw this happen many times and saw it backfire many times. What the leadership team failed to do was they failed to actually understand the business that they had acquired and 
get input about how things worked before making decisions. How these problems were solved was I, as the senior leader, I'm going to apply my personal experience and just tell people how to go about doing their work. I'm currently working with another company where problems are identified at the senior leader level. It is clear when a metric is not where it needs to be or when an organization is not where it needs to be. But instead of saying, this is what needs to happen, they first go to the middle managers and they say, tell us what's going on. Why is this the case? And it's not done in a way that's seeking accountability for it. It's just done in a way that is seeking to understand. And middle managers are incredibly comfortable at this company speaking up and saying, this is why this is happening, or this is the problem I see occurring. And then there's an entire brainstorming session where the senior leader, as well as very entry-level people all sit in a room. It's a literal working session. They sit down and they say, let's solve this problem. Senior leader says, this is the outcome I want to get to. I want to figure out how to make this team operate more efficiently, or I want to figure out how we can grow by 2x over the next whatever number of months. How do we get there? And then everyone is able to speak up and in fact is encouraged to speak up by that senior leader. The quality of the solution, it's the exact same challenge. It's the ship is on a bad course and we need to write it in order for the company to grow and be successful. It's literally the exact same situation as this previous role I was in. The outcomes are so different because the way the company goes about solving problems is so collaborative and seeks to acquire information from all levels and doesn't just say that in their slides. Every company in its core value slide says, we value every employee equally. But when it comes down to it, some leaders spend no time asking questions of their employees, and some leaders really prioritize that. Now, to be clear, at every company, sometimes leaders make decisions that are not aligned with what everyone thinks. There are entry-level employees who, despite having significant knowledge about their own area of expertise, whatever they're working on, lack the context of what's going on in the broader organization. And so this is not to say that the best company, the companies with the best cultures are ones where leaders gather input and then just do what everyone says. It is totally okay for a leader to make a different decision than whatever entry-level person they're asking a question of thinks should be done, or even a mid-level manager thinks needs to be done. But the big difference between a good company culture and a bad company culture is whether that input is sought at all. The other piece of problem solving is how decisions are made. And where is delegating authority made for those decisions? I once worked for a company where even though I was a relatively senior leader, I had no decision-making authority. Despite me managing a relatively large team, even the most minor of decisions had to be escalated to the CEO of the company. And that is definitely one way of operating. I think the problem that became very obvious over time, and this, is, this has been true in many organizations that I've worked with, is the senior leaders ultimately become the bottleneck. When they need to make every decision, whether it's in their mind they truly do or whether they just do it because that's subconsciously what they want, 
they have a lot of things that they need to stay on top of. They have a lot of requests from a lot of people that, of course, the company grows over time. There are more people. There are therefore more decisions that need to be made, but there aren't more CEOs or senior leaders to make them. So that senior leader who is holding on to decision-making authority over time becomes this bottleneck that slows down the entire company. The other problem with centrally delegated or non-delegated central decision-making is over time, the senior leader making those decisions has less and less context on each decision that needs to be made. When you have five to 10 layers in your organization, because it's 500, a thousand people, you couldn't possibly know everything that's going on in each branch of that organization. Whereas I, as a mid-level manager, know a lot more about what's going on. So long as you've set the right guidelines for me, I, as a middle manager, should be able to make pretty good decisions and probably better ones than any CEO, at least in terms of how speedily I can make them. And a decision that's slightly off but made a lot faster is probably better than the exact right decision made way slower. The companies I've worked at that I think have had the best culture are ones where decision-making authority is delegated way down into the org. Now, not without checks and balances, of course, when it comes to amount of money being spent or who's being hired, there needs to be some sort of framework in place to say, if it's beyond the bounds of X, Y, and Z, like dollars, for example, then we need to at least get approval up above. But the day-to-day -day culture is, I am being given overall authority to figure out what I think is best. And I am trusted as an employee rather than I need to run every single thing I do up the chain. And I think the way that leaders demonstrate which bucket they fall into is whether they say, I don't think I'm needed for this decision. I trust you to do it. Just let me know what you decide versus those that say, I want to talk about this. Can you give me all the information I need? And then I'll let you know how to move forward. The final piece of company culture that I think is really important is what orientation, what focus does the company have? I think there are four, there might be more. Keep me honest in the feedback. There are companies that are employee focused. There are also companies that are customer focused. There are companies that are shareholder focused. And then there are companies that are leader focused. I don't know that there's an exact right one. I do think companies that are leader focused are probably missing a key piece of their culture. Companies are leader focused when they offer extravagant benefits or separate as a class their leaders. I have worked at companies where leaders were held on a pedestal as if they were not even real people, where it was completely unacceptable to reach out to someone who wasn't your direct manager, to someone who was in another organization, but was a higher level than you. Those are companies that are leader oriented or leader focused. And I think what ends up happening is those companies become more autocratic than is ideal or efficient. Ultimately, the people doing the work are the more entry-level folks. They're the ones that have the most information about any given process or customer 
or product, that information needs to be surfaced. Leaders can't be seen as untouchable because then problems won't be escalated. Ideas won't be escalated. The companies that ensure that they are not leader focused are the ones that have their leaders sit next to the troops in the office. They're the ones that encourage team members to reach out to one another, that make connections between team members working on things. They're the ones who encourage, they're the companies where managers feel comfortable having their direct reports reach out directly to their own manager, their skip level. If that's not happening in your company, if you get the sense that you're actually not hearing frequently from the rank and file within your own team or your own organization, if you send out an engagement survey and you see that people do not feel comfortable escalating concerns, then you might be a little too leader focused and maybe not enough employee focused or customer focused. There are companies that are shareholder focused, and I think that kind of goes in and out over time. Shareholders gain increased relevance at critical junctures of a company's life cycle, such as when they're raising money. I think the concern for me is more whether a company is consistently shareholder focused. Shareholders tend to be very short term in their thinking compared to what's probably ultimately best for the company and the shareholder in the long term. As companies move towards going public and having to report quarterly results, my overall experience has been that companies tend to get a lot more shareholder focused because management obviously wants to keep their job. And as shareholders take on a larger and larger portion of the company's ownership, they have more and more control over what the company does. The best leaders are the ones that set a clear vision when that occurs such that the quarter to quarter waves of the market are a lot less impactful to the day-to-day -day decisions that are made because shareholders are bought into the concept of the long-term plan. To me, every company at the end of the day should be employee focused and every employee should be customer focused. I think that's the right culture to set, which is I as a leader am a servant leader. I am here to enable my employees to be the best that they can be, to be as successful as possible, to be as satisfied as possible with their work and with the opportunities they're given internally. That making employees happy in the center of the leader's world will in turn result, in my opinion, in employees then being customer focused because they're going to be thinking about not I am unhappy or I'm just going to do what I'm told. They're going to be thinking about whatever it is that is the long-term vision of the company. They're going to be given the space to try things, to figure out the problems that need to be solved and then the authority to go solve them. And what will result is an employee base that is incredibly customer focused. It feels a little indirect, certainly, but that has been consistently my experience, which is that the companies that truly prioritize their employees and make their employees the center of their world ultimately are the best servants of their customers. I think you can see this play out in a microcosm at your local coffee shop or bar restaurant. You can tell when employees are happy because you have a much better experience there because they treat you better. I go to the same 
smoothie shop every morning and I see the owner sitting there working alongside his staff and all of his staff seem to be incredibly happy. They're working alongside their boss. Their boss clearly treats them very well, tries to figure out what it is they need. I would guess that they have a pretty liberal policy when it comes to, hey, I had something personal come up and I really need to change my shift. I would guess that they feel a lot of trust to do their work effectively. And what ends up happening is they all treat me, the customer, really well. And that causes me to come back. That works at the micro level. It certainly works at the macro level. Let's talk now through hiring for culture fit. I'm just going to do this briefly because there's a whole episode related to hiring that I've done. Let's say you have a set of 20 core values or 10 core values. That's really hard to focus on all of them when, when hiring people. At the end of the day, what you really want, the way you want your company to operate, it really should just be based on a few first principles, three things that you want every single employee to possess. And you are filtering for that every single time in every single interview process. What are the three things that you want every person in your company to possess? I can tell you that if I were running a company today of more than one person, to be clear, my first thing that I would want is a growth mindset and not a fixed mindset. I am 100% certain that if I hire people who exclusively have growth mindsets, who believe that they have the opportunity to improve something or themselves rather than fixed mindsets, people who believe that they are not at fault for anything and there isn't a way to make positive changes, I am 100% certain that my company will be more successful than the other one. If you have a company that's full of people with growth mindsets, and that to me, again, is the, my most important trait that I would look for in every single person, you can adapt to anything. You'll have people who are willing to take on more responsibility, who accept when they're not ready to, who are able to understand when they need to have a level inserted above them because they're not equal to the task yet, who need to take on a different set of work because it more aligns with their skills. All of those things are really good for the company long-term and ultimately you just create a group of really excited problem solvers. Anyway, what are the three things that are most important to you that you want everyone to possess? And then conduct a series of behavioral interviews to assess that fit. They can be inserted across a bunch of different interviews if you want. Ask questions repeatedly in slightly different ways. It's easy for any candidate to come up with one really good example. It's only possible for the best candidates to come up with multiple examples when asked similar questions. So instead of just saying, tell me about a time when you were tasked with solving a problem that wasn't your area of responsibility. You could ask that once and hopefully someone comes up with a good answer. Great, that's filter one. Then later, have someone else ask, tell me about a time when you were asked to take on a new job that was not within your previous set of responsibilities. And you can say, I'd appreciate if you could use a new example and not something you've used with a different interviewer before. If that person can come up with another answer to that very similar question, that's an even better sign. Use the tell me about a time when questions, apply them to the traits that you think are most important when you're hiring for them, and then use those repeatedly. The other thing that I think can be 
incredibly impactful for ensuring you're hiring for culture fit is backdoor references. I had actually not experienced this until a couple of years ago when I worked at a company that did this. And I found the process a little bit bizarre at first, but I've come to be really bought into it. This concept that when I ask you for references, you're going to give me your three best people, the people who will vouch for you no matter what. Those references probably are only going to weed out the worst of the worst because only the worst of the worst candidates will have literally no one who can vouch for them or their references will just not speak positively of them. To weed out the middle, backdoor references may be the, a much better option. The way backdoor references work is you as a hiring manager say, I would like to reach out to some people in your network who have worked with you to get a sense of their experience working with you. Please let me know if there is anyone you do not wish me to speak with. Otherwise, is it okay if I reach out to some folks who you worked with? My experience has been they'll mention, please don't reach out to my current manager. They don't know that I'm interviewing. They might have another person who, for whatever reason, they just simply did not get along with and had a bad experience with. Everyone is allowed to have those over the course of their career, so long as they're learning from it and it's not a repeated problem. They might mention a couple folks like that. But then generally the best candidates will say, yeah, otherwise feel free. And then you as a manager can go into their LinkedIn and look for folks who worked at the same place at the same time as they did reach out to them and say, hey, would love to get your thoughts on what it was like working with this person. We're considering hiring them for this role and want to make sure we're hiring the best talent. Backdoor references haven't been prepped the same way that proactive references have, and they can be a really good source of maybe more holistic information about the candidate. My general experience with backdoor references have they have been that they have sung the praises of this individual or they said, I did not work with this person personally, but I can tell you that everyone who did work with them really enjoyed it. And a couple times backdoor references offered me information that was quite damning that would not have come up in a normal interview process and was really important for me as a hiring manager to know and stopped me from making what would have been ultimately a really bad hire. So yeah, backdoor references are great for assessing culture fit. Last piece I want to talk about related to culture today is how to maintain and evolve culture over time. In order to assess the effectiveness of your company culture and the reality of your company culture, you need to get information from your employees. To me, the best way to do that is through engagement surveys. Engagement surveys are a very common thing at larger companies. I have also, in my coaching work, set up engagement surveys for individual leaders to send to their teams to check in anonymously on how they're performing as leaders. My general experience is that companies wait way too long to send out anonymous engagement surveys that assess how people are feeling about their roles and about the company. These are questions like, on a scale of one to five, strongly disagree to strongly agree. Answer this question. I understand the expectations of me in my role. If you score really well on that, you likely have done a good job of fostering transparency and professional development conversations in your organization. If you score really poorly on that, it likely means that your managers have a lot of development that they still need to do, or 
you need more systematic job descriptions and role competencies that need to be rolled out such that people understand what success looks like and what they need to do. Maybe you need more goal setting or KPIs. Maybe you need more documentation of what people are supposed to be working on. Another example of a good engagement survey question is, I believe that the leaders in my company solicit the right information before making decisions. Then you will see if the perception of you as a leader is that you go ask questions and you seek to understand, or if you come across as on a pedestal or in your ivory tower and are not accessible to the individual. Probably the only way to learn that is through something like an anonymous survey where you ask everyone across the company how they perceive it. Engagement surveys are the only, or at least in my mind, the only systematic way to identify truly how people in the company feel about working there and what they like and don't like about the company and where you maybe need to course correct. Since we're coming up on over 30 minutes here, and I'm sure as much as you love my podcast, you are probably ready to not hear my voice anymore. I'm going to cut it off there. I think that there is a number of topics that we could have talked through today related to company culture. And depending on the response to this episode, I may do another one or two. And I will certainly in the future have guests on to talk through aspects of their own company's culture. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you found something useful in this set of tidbits and talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Management 101. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to subscribe and leave a comment or a review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in to Management 101 and we'll catch you in the next episode.